So as you might suspect, today we're going to be tackling some of the fear part of fear and faith in uncertain times. I'm going to read the passage, and then we're going to go through it. Um, it's Matthew chapter 6, and it's verses 25 and following. I'm just going to read it so you listen. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, and yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he'll certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So I use a smartphone. I use a smartphone. I own a smartphone. How many of you have a smartphone? Show of hands. Practically everyone in the room, correct? 85% um, of Americans have a smartphone. 53% of kids by age 11 have a smartphone. 85% of high school students have a smartphone. And the smart part of smartphone is the fact that it really it's a handheld computer, right? If you're old enough, you know the progression of cell phones. There was a day when they were the size of a suitcase, and then there was the Nokia, and then there were the flip phones, and then there were the slider phones with the full QWERTY, QWERTY keyboard and the Blackberries, for those of you that wanted to do the Blackberry thing. So, so cell phones have had all kinds of iterations, but the smart part of the smartphone is that they're connected to the internet. Your smartphone can run apps, it can connect to a GPS satellite, and so much more. And Americans, as it turns out, love their smartphones. On average, Americans check their phones 262 times a day, 67% of Americans have texted someone in the same room. I'm looking at some of you. 62% <laughs> of Americans sleep with their phones. Remember when you were little and you had little Teddy or Snuggly Blanky? <laughs> Snuggly Blanky, now it's Mr. Smartphone. <laughs> and he sleeps with you. 47% of Americans use or look at their phone on a date. 54% of Americans say they panic when their cell phone battery goes below 20%, below 5%, below 2%. And you know this because other people do this. 40% of Americans use or look at their phones while driving. <laughs> okay? So Americans use their phones a lot. You could almost say that it's addictive use or compulsive use. Now, you don't need me to tell you that recently our friends in England had a tragedy hit. The queen died. And as I was looking at pictures coming out of Scotland and England, initially I panicked and I was like, 
Oh my goodness, here we won World War II and the Brits have all turned into Nazis. They're doing the sea Kyle as the queen progresses by in the streets. But if you zoom in, it's not the Nazi salute. They've all got their phones up. Every single, look at this crowd. There's not a single person that doesn't have their hand up in the air with the phone. Here's Buckingham Palace, the same exact thing. Now, again, you don't need me to tell you why. They're capturing the moment so that they can post it on their Instagram so that other people can go like, 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 or share, 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 especially their friends over in the States who can't stand outside of Buckingham Palace and get that view. And as we all know, or at least as America tells us, the more likes and shares you have, the more loved and valued you are, <coughs> as though that were true. This is what Sean Parker said in 2017. By the way, he was the first official president of Facebook. You don't know this. The thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first among them, was about this. How do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? And that means we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every now and then because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever. Key line, how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, they're all wanting to get your eyeballs they're wanting to draw you in and keep you in. And the algorithms and the notifications used by our smartphones are designed to pull us in and keep us in. How many of you have gotten a notification, ding, checked your phone, only to realize 45 minutes or an hour later, you were still scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And in the wake of the pandemic, we started this new thing, doom scrolling. It's where there's bad news, and because you're an inquiring mind, you want to learn as much as possible about the bad news. And so you click a link, and then another link, and then another link, and before you know it, 45 minutes later, you're an expert in the field. And you're feeling absolutely panicked because you're convinced, we're all going to die. It's the end of civilization as we know it. Popular topics for doom scrolling, Donald Trump. He's either going to rescue America or end democracy. Monkeypox, COVID, vaccines, the invasion of Ukraine. There have been some Americans that have followed every aspect of the invasion of Ukraine to the point where on any given day, they can tell you within five miles where the Russians are. As though they're a Ukrainian general and they've got to know this information, okay? So... This is what our smartphones are doing to us. And much of what we're looking at when we're looking at our smartphones is stuff that heightens our fear and makes us more anxious. I want to remind you this morning that faith and fear move in opposite directions. Faith and fear move in opposite directions. With fear, 
you're not sure how things are going to play out, but you're pretty convinced it's going to be bad. We're all going to die. Faith, again, you're not sure of the outcome, but you're pretty sure that it's going to be okay. That somehow, someway, God's got this. Again, faith and fear move in opposite directions. We're not the first group of people, by the way, to face fear. We're not the first group of God's people to face fear. One of the most common phrases found in the Bible is, do not be afraid or fear not. It appears roughly 365 times. Hmm, ironic. <laughs> fear not. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Fear not. And so my big idea today is really simple. Our focus, our gaze can either heighten our fears or strengthen our faith. Our focus, our gaze can either heighten our fears or strengthen our faith. And so I want to return to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Jesus tells us to look at some things in this passage. R.T. France, he's got this three and a half inch thick volume commentary on this on, on Matthew, and he says this, the simple analogy here is worth many paragraphs of reasoned argument. The meaning is simple, but undeniable. So Matthew 6, 25 and following. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? So here, uh, this word worry, it can mean distracted, like the way Martha was when Jesus came to visit. Distracted, you know, Mary's not doing her part. You know, uh, in other places, the word means strangled or choked. Distracted, strangled, choked. Is that how you want to feel? <laughs> and Jesus says, I tell you not to worry. He's not telling you not to feel sad, not to feel happy. Feelings are feelings. But there's something about worry that he assumes we have control over. And he, he issues a command, don't worry. I tell you not to worry. There's something about us that we have some control. I don't know if you've realized this, but worry is really self-manufactured fear. I mean, it's fear that we kind of manufacture on the inside. And Jesus says at the beginning that God has given us a body and life. God's given us the most important things about us. We didn't have any say or any control over it. Why shouldn't we trust God with other things? Okay? And then he tells us to look at some things. Verse 26, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than birds? It's an argument from lesser to greater. God feeds the birds. We humans are greater than birds. Therefore, God's paying attention to humans. When you came into Generations Community Church, I don't know if you know this, but there's a bunch of birds that live in the overhang. Did you see them perched along, smoking cigarettes, just hanging around? <laughs> no. They're, they're doing stuff. They're gathering things, worms, nesting stuff, right? Birds work, but birds don't worry. I don't know if you know this, but animals don't worry. Birds don't worry. 
Lions don't worry, dogs don't worry, dogs in particular do not worry. <laughs> dogs are great at not worrying, okay? And then Jesus says this in verse 27 of Matthew 6, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? I have to explain to my kids sometimes, that's a rhetorical question. <laughs> the answer is implicit in the question. And of course, the answer here is no. There's no practical or positive benefit to worrying, none. In fact, we now know from doctors that worry actually makes things harder for you. It makes you, uh, gives you body aches, headaches, stomach aches. Worry can give you ulcers. And if you're sick, it can make your sickness 10 times worse. So then Jesus tells us to look at the lilies of the field. Why worry about your clothing, he says. Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, and yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he'll certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? If God cares about flowers and provides what they need, again, God will provide for you. And Jesus asked this question, why do you have so little faith? Here's the good news. He doesn't say, why do you not have any faith? Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> At least I've got a little. God can do a lot with a little. I don't know if you know this. But Jesus asks why they have a little faith. Little faith says that we don't believe God cares for us. Little faith says that we can't count on God to do what he's promised. And little faith almost always results from a deficient view of God. At, at its core, I believe little faith is always a result because we think or we feel or we believe that maybe God's not as good as everybody says or the Bible claims, or maybe God cares about everyone but us, or maybe we just can't count on God for this thing. And so doubt comes in. And Jesus finishes it off in verses 31 to 34. So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God and live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow brings its, its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Let me say that again. Today's trouble is enough for today. Amen. If you'll be about my kingdom, Jesus is saying, you'll have what you'll need. You'll have enough as Brian walked us through last week. In fact, I want to return to a couple of parts and tie some things together for you. So, in Exodus chapter 16, the Israelites have been out of slavery and out of Egypt for one month, remember? One month, and what do they do? If you were here last week, they do something. They complained, they complained. And so God provides manna, God provides manna. So the people of Israel did as they were told. This manna is out there every morning, six mornings a week. Some gathered a lot, some only a little. Did you catch this? Some people went out there and they were like, I know what I'm going to do. Get the Tupperware. Get the Tupperware. Come on, kids, kids, come on. Put it in here. Put it in. No, no, more, more. Come on. They took it back to their home. They put it in there. They ate what they needed. And at the end of the day, do you know what happened to what was left over? It rotted. It rotted. They couldn't save anything except on the sixth day because they weren't supposed to do any work on the seventh day. Only then did it not rot. So when they measured it out, everyone had, what's the word again? Enough. 
Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. Now, they complained. And I know that we Americans, we like euphemisms. So like when somebody dies, we say they passed away. So I just need to remind us that we're Americans. We don't complain. We have concerns. <laughs> okay? So we just need to realize that when we're in these moments and we have concerns about something, we have fears about something. When we're concerned about, we're afraid that. And I just want to make that connection for you because, again, we Americans, we like euphemisms. And so, so we like indirect speech and we don't like to say things exactly as they are. But concerns are fears. And we're just like the Israelites. And the reason I know that is because we just went through a pandemic Remember the toilet paper shortage. Some gathered a lot. <laughs> and there were many stores that had very little, if any at all. Okay? And that brings me to Matthew chapter 8. Okay? Matthew chapter 8. So just a couple of chapters later, Jesus and his disciples are crossing a lake in a boat. This is Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27. Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, Lord, save us. We're all going to drown. Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. There's that phrase again. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked. Even the winds and waves obey him. So there's this terrible storm, this seismos, um, a quake, a rumbling, an eruption of the sea and sky. This seismos, this storm happens upon them suddenly in the lake Sea of Galilee, this is a common feature, okay? The disciples were afraid. So, a few questions for you. Where was Jesus in this storm? Where was Jesus? Where was he? Sleeping. And where was he? Was he with them? Jesus was with them in the storm, but he was sleeping, that based on what the disciples say, Lord, save us, we're going to drown, where do you think their gaze or their focus was? The storm. Not a single one of them looked at Jesus asleep and thought to himself, how is this possible? How is it that this man is sound asleep and doesn't have a care in the world? What on earth is going on? Not a single one of them. They're afraid because they were looking at the storm. They were looking at the storm. So the next time that you're panicked and you're freaking out, and I've been there, I panic and I have my freak outs. God, where are you? Why aren't you helping me? Can't you see that I'm in danger? Can't you see that I'm in trouble? Can't you see that I need help? Where is Jesus? In the boat. He's with you. He's got it. He's not afraid. Where? Are you looking? And so I want to raise a few questions in light of Matthew 6 and Exodus 16 and Matthew 8. What are you most afraid of right now? 
What are you most afraid of right now? And then what do your fears say you're relying on? And then where are you looking? Where are you looking? So I have a couple of practical ways to kind of take this home. And the first is simple, and, and, and the skit guys laid it out. Our fears point to what we really care about. Our fears point to what we really care about. And so there's a connection between our fears and what we most desire, what we most want, what we feel like we need. And so today, I want you to, at some point today, list your fears, write them down on paper. What are your ongoing recurring fears? List them, name them, and then start asking why. What am I afraid to lose? What do these fears say about what's really important to me? What do I really value or desire most? Okay, list them. Sometimes when you list your fears on paper and you look at it on paper, do you know what you do to yourself? Well, that's dumb. <laughs> as soon as you see it written on paper, you're like, why did I think that? That's the silliest thing in the world. Once you're seeing it, they're on the paper. It's the strangest thing. Even though it's whirling around in your head, put it on paper and then all of a sudden you're like, well, pfft. Wow. Okay. And the second thing is, and this is the heart of where I want to get at today. I want your, I want your smartphone to actually work for you instead of against you. Right now, chances are your smartphone is actually working against you and it's feeding your fears. It's heightening your fears. It's making you more anxious. Okay. And so I want to give a couple of options. Okay to resist the pull and the dopamine surges that come with the use of our smartphones. And option number one is a 30-day smartphone fast. If you've got a lot of anxiousness and fear in your life and you find that doom scrolling and other things are a recurring theme for you, then I want you to like today take every last thing off your phone, every single app, take them off your phone, Facebook, Instagram, every app, every single thing except calling and texting. That's it, calling and texting. You're like, Max, that's a dumb phone. I know. <laughs> I know. I want you to make your smartphone a dumb phone for 30 days. I did this a few years ago. Can I just tell you, over those 30 days, I learned so much about myself. So much about myself when my phone could only call or make texts. That's the radical version, okay? There's a less radical version, and that has to do with adjust your smartphone settings, okay? Maybe there are some apps that need to be taken off your phone, and maybe there's some apps that need to be put on, like the Bible Project or Dwell, which is a scripture app, or the Reimagining the Examine. There's a number of apps that can actually help you put your focus, put your gaze on Jesus, even though it's a smartphone, right? Okay? The other way that you can do that is by turning off almost all of your notifications. Uh, and I'm going to get to this in a minute, but again, what did Sean Parker say that their goal was? Their goal was to get you and pull you in and have you stay there in Facebook, in Instagram, as long as they possibly could. So those notifications and, oh, somebody commented, somebody liked, they're designed to get you to pull in, step in, and stay. That's what they want. And so I want you to be, have some intentionality with that. And, and one thing I would say about all of this smartphone stuff, if there's one thing that you could change today, please don't look at it the first 20 minutes when you get up. 
And at least 20 minutes before you go to bed, don't look at it. And I'm like, what? Just 20 minutes? I know. You'll, it'll seem like forever for some. I know. But like, and, and that might mean that you need a different kind of alarm clock than your phone, right? And that's okay. Uh, our focus, our gaze can either heighten our fears or strengthen our faith. And I really believe that American smartphone use is amplifying fear. It's amplifying fear, okay? And I want us to be smart about how we use our smartphones. Here's why this is important. I want to tell you a story I've told before. I just love this story. It's from Asbury University, Brian. I'm probably going to get some of the details wrong, but this is the way Dr. Sandra Gray trolled it years ago. So Asbury University is this little tiny college in Wilmore, Kentucky. Yay! Go Team Purple. Okay? So they don't have a billion-dollar endowment. They don't have 10,000 students on campus. It's a tiny little school. Way back, a long time ago, somebody with a lot of money gave them a TV production trailer. Whoa! Here, you have media communication majors, Asbury University. Here's a TV production trailer. They had one catch. Often this is the case with big donors. <laughs> but they had one catch, and the catch was, if anybody needs this TV production trailer, you just lend it out. Just lend it, lend it to them. Well, sure enough, about that time, tragedy struck our friends in New York, NBC. You know, boo, 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 NBC, like big NBC. And it destroyed a number of their TV production trailers. And they had a need, and they heard that this little tiny school, remember the little tiny school? In Wilmore, Kentucky, had a brand new one. And so they reached out to Asbury, and they said, hey, we need a TV production trailer. And the way Dr. Gray tells the story is she says that for a day or two, they struggled. They struggled because the school needed money, money. Please give us some money. And NBC was offering a lot of money to use this trailer, but the guy who donated it said, lend it out. And they wrestled and wrestled for about a day, and they decided, you know what? We're just going to trust God. We're going to lend this out. And they did. NBC, of course, being NBC, secular and New Yorkers, they were like, you want to do what? <laughs> Are you insane? What's wrong with you people? What are we going to do with this? I don't know. They don't want any money. Hey, do you have any majors, like media communication majors? We'll take them to the Olympics. This will be great. NBC thought they were being generous. And then when they got to the Olympics, they discovered several things about the Asbury students. One, they weren't getting drunk. Two, when they showed up, they actually worked hard. And three, many of them knew what they were actually doing behind a camera, operating this stuff. And so it opened the door. And year after year after year after year, students from a little tiny school in nowhere, Kentucky, have gone to the Olympics and worked with NBC people to do the Olympics. Can I ask you a question? Is the value of the many, many years of all of those students going to NBC worth more than whatever NBC was going to pay them for that one use of the trailer? Yes. This is how God works when it comes to abundance and scarcity.
This is how God works when it comes to fear and faith. And God wants us to have much faith. Okay, I'm going to invite our musicians up, and I want to pray for us. And then I'm going to walk you through some settings on your phone. <laughs> Father, thank you for the gift of today. We confess that we's Americans, and we've got smartphones. And because we have smartphones, we have some things in our lives that maybe we could be more intentional about. Help us, help us, help us to trust you. You are trustworthy. You always do what you have promised. You have given us life itself. You have given us a future, life everlasting. Why shouldn't we trust you with everything else? It makes no sense. So, Father, grow our faith today that we might be a faith-filled congregation, faith-filled moms and dads and husbands and wives and brothers and sisters and all of those kinds of things. Help us to have faith. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. While they're getting ready, if you'll put my last uh, picture or two up there. So here's why this is important. How much time do Americans spend on their phones per day? Three hours and 19 minutes. Boom! Of the three hours and 19 minutes a day, Americans spend on average 50 minutes on their phone before going to bed. I don't want that phone bringing fear into your heart and into your mind. So... Uh, when you go to settings, <laughs> here's what I want to tell you about those little pesky notifications that I've learned. So you go into your settings. You can pull out your smartphones while we're singing and change your settings before you leave. I give you permission. That would be a good thing for you to change that before you leave God's house today, okay? So you go to notifications, and you'll notice here on Max's phone, almost all of them are turned off, but look at what happened to Gmail. Do you, can I tell you? I turned that off. That was off. Here's what I've learned about notifications. You have to go in and do this about every 30 days because it's like they turn themselves back on. It's the weirdest thing. It's like a miracle. <laughs> or it could be that they're in cahoots with the smartphone people. I don't know. <laughs> and I don't want to espouse conspiracy stuff in church. But I'm just saying that, and notice... Because of my church family, I want to get notifications for them, so I turn that on. But like I've noticed with Facebook and Instagram and even Gmail that the phone updates or something happens, and within 30 days, I'm getting notifications. for My phone is dinging when it shouldn't ding at me. So this is something you're going to have to do every 30 See the intentionality it takes to fight what they're doing? Okay. I want you to have more faith. So I feel comfortable now in you standing. So if you're working on your phone for the rest of the time that you're here and you're not singing, it's okay. If you leave with better settings, I'm going to have a happy smile on my face. So stand to your feet. If you need your phone out, you can have your phone out.